0: Let us pray together. Great God and Father, we just thank you for uh, this time of year, Lord, where we can reflect on the most awesome miracle known to man, and that's the fact that you, our God, would condescend from heaven and take on human flesh. Lord, the miracle of the incarnation, Lord, in, in order to save us from our sins, the enfleshment Lord, we we give you praise for the fact that you are our merciful and faithful high priest. And we give you praise today. Something must be awfully important for people to gather under a roof today to worship. And we're not worshiping just anything. We're worshiping the God of creation who saved us from our sins. And we give you praise for it. Today, we ask that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, would you... Confront us with your word, would you undermine our complacency, overthrow our behaviors and thoughts that do not align with your supremacy, and help us to submit to you as our Lord. Thank you again for the price you paid, and thank you for the time of worship we can have together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Uh, Quick apology to visitors, but you run out of time in a church calendar year. And uh, for church members, we have to approve our 2024 budget. So I would call you together and let you know that we are entering a business session. It's going to be real short, but we're in the business session right now. And the vote is to approve, without discussion, our 2024 budget. So all in approval of the 2024 budget, raise your right hand. All right, you can take it down. Any disproving? You're not willing to admit it, amen? Uh, so we'll, we thank the Lord for how he's led us. Uh, there are challenges across the board with, with uh, families and churches nowadays with uh, the things we're facing. But praise the Lord for your continued faithfulness to the Lord. Uh, we need a motion to adjourn. And a second. And, all right. All in favor, amen. amen? Amen. Boy, that was fast. That's the way Baptist business meetings should be, right? <laughs> Praise the Lord, Brother David's going to come continue to lead us in worship,
1: and uh, praise the Lord for all you non-members that voted yes thank you for your pledge <laughs> thank you for your pledge this new year God bless you um, if you have a uh, find find a a, a card uh, in front of you there that says um, uh, connection card, and we would love to know that you're worshiping with us. Now, many of you, I know, are in, you know, just for Christmas with mom and dad or grandma and grandpa, and you've got a church home elsewhere. God bless you. But if you're uh, don't have a church home and you're here in the area, we would certainly love to know how we can minister to you. So please fill those out and turn those into the offering plate or turn them into the the connection card, uh, connection card, connection center uh, as you leave today. Hey, a couple of quick things that are happening uh, that uh, just I'm so excited about years ago, about six or seven years ago, uh, God called a couple of our young men into ministry, and they are going to be back together preaching and leading worship next Sunday morning. That's Joel Hayworth will be preaching, and Nathan Murphan will be our guest worship leader. And so, uh, change your calendar. Do whatever you have to do. Change your Alaskan cruise. I don't care. Uh, Be sure. You wouldn't do that in December, would you? That'd be bad. But anyway. uh, And and be here for next Sunday morning. It is going to be wonderful. And you want to be here to support these two godly young men who are coming back to minister, so please uh, put that on your calendar. And then tonight, be sure and be here. We're hoping to have a very special uh, night, a uh, holy night. Wink, wink. Um, and, uh, and we will uh, uh, enjoy uh, Lord's Supper together, candlelight, and uh, it'll be a great celebration tonight. So we hope you can come back tonight at 530. Let's continue in worship, O little town of Bethlehem. that it involves offering. And in, in December, our offering always involves Lottie Moon Christmas offering. This is an offering for our international missionaries. And uh, we want to show you just a brief video about uh, our international missionaries in Ukraine right now.
2: I want to thank the churches of the Southern Baptist Convention for sending your missionaries and your support to Ukraine. I came to know Jesus Christ because of a Southern Baptist missionary. I began to grow as a Christian because of a Southern Baptist missionary. And we have served with the missionaries from the IMB over all these years. I planted my church, I was ordaining this church with a missionary from the IMB ordaining me. And right now, when the war in Ukraine began, my wife, she had to walk across the border from Ukraine into Romania and the first people who met her on that other side were our dear friends from the IMB. They were able to welcome her, to give her a hug, to give her a hot cup of tea, and to send her further. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your presence with us around the world. God bless you abundantly.
1: Just a reminder, when you give a gift to Lottie Moon Christmas offering, 100% of that goes to our uh, missionaries, not to other agencies, not not anywhere else, but just to the missionaries. So God bless you for your support for that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, as we give today, uh, tithes and offerings and uh, Lord supporting our missionaries, our international missionaries around the world, uh, my, that video really hit home with all the with all of the, uh, the news we hear about what's going on in Ukraine, what's going on in Gaza. Uh, we know that we have a presence there, Lord, and we thank you for that. And We thank you for all those men and women who are working tirelessly to spread the love of Jesus in uh, very, very difficult places around the world. Lord, help us to be faithful to help them. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. One day. We were yet sinners. Christ loved us. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. Andy and Betsy, please come and lead us in the lighting of our candle of good news.
3: Today, we light the fourth candle, the candle of good news. It is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came into the world to save his people from their sins. And the angel said to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people.
4: This great joy comes through his perfect sacrifice on the cross that paid the penalty for our sins. There is no greater good news than the gospel of Jesus Christ.
3: Today's Advent reading is uh, Luke 2, 8 through 21. And in the same region there were shepherds out on the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you that is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord
4: and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb.
3: Let's pray. Our God, our Father, our one source, Lord, we come before you and worship today for the greatest news that brings the greatest joy. And, Father, it is a, a gift of love from you to us. And not that we loved you first, but that you loved us, and that love was made manifest in you sending your Son as a propitiation for our sins. And so we, uh, we simply echo the, the angels, Lord, who, um, who said, as good news of great joy, we're thankful and we worship you today. As Paul said, Lord, what a, we thanks be to God for such an inexpressible gift. What a gift. What love. What good news. What a Savior. Father, we come today and we are so thankful and we want to worship you in spirit and in truth for giving us the good news of the gospel. In your name, amen.
0: Thank you, Andy and Betsy. Um, one candle left, and the Christ candle is in the center. And of course, we will take part in the reading of the Advent tonight as well. Light the Christ candle and worship together uh, with song and have the Lord's Supper together as a church family. Have you ever been wigged out by a priest? Well, I have. I mean, growing up, if you saw a a man with a collar and everything kind of tight there, and and you are a little kid, you're going to stare at him, right? And your parents would say, stop staring. And you're just, your attention's on them. And you are trying to figure out what's different about this individual. Uh, I might ask you today, what is your view of a priest? They wear different clothes. They act kind of stuffy. At times, there's something about them that is often aloof and austere and different, distant. And some of you would say that some pastors you know or ministers that you know are the same way. They're somewhat unapproachable. We might use the word loosely, holy, right? Stern, distant, different. Now, with me saying that, don't be fooled. You need a priest. You have to have a priest. It's a divine necessity that you have a priest. Yet the only priest you need is the one that became just like us. Who is full of mercy. Who is full of compassion. Who is completely approachable. Who the Bible says is a friend of sinners. Who is strong and tender and wise. And his name is Jesus. He is sinless and perfect and majestic. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 1 that he is the exact representation of God's nature. But he also became human. In human flesh. He is the majestic Lord of heaven and earth. But he is not austere and aloof and distant. He is our high priest who knows exactly what we are going through. He sympathizes with us for the very simple reason that he became just like us. I give to you and preach to you today the glorious news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That there is only one mediator between God and man. And it is our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one. So. This next section will introduce you most explicitly to the dominant theme of the book of Hebrews, and we arrive there on Christmas Eve. Isn't that awesome? We arrive at this particular day to celebrate our merciful and faithful High Priest. Listen to the passage. We are in Hebrews chapter two. Reading our reading begins in verse seventeen. Every word, so vitally important. Therefore, can be translated for this reason. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation for the sins of Of his people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So, this particular understanding of high priest has been implicitly given to us. Chapter one He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds all things, or the universe, by the word of his power. Listen to this after making purification for sins. He sat down. Now, there's a little bit of line let out at this point to move you toward chapter 2, verse 17, but that's implicit. This verse is explicit, clearly teaching us of the high priestly work of Christ. So, again, this verse is a summary. Chapter 2, verse 17 is a summary of verses 10 through 16 of chapter 2. Verse 10 of chapter 2, for it was fitting that he, and then in verse 17, therefore he had to be made. Those are connected. It is fitting, and we, we preached that last week, and now it is necessary. It is fitting that these things take place. Why? Because it was necessary that he become a faithful and merciful high priest. And the ultimate reason was to make propitiation For sins. We won't see all of that today, okay? But we will the first Sunday of January, which is a great way to start the new year, talking about propitiation for sins. But I will talk about it today as well. So the corresponding truths are important. Notice verse 14 Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he likewise partook of flesh and blood. And then in verse 17, therefore, he had to be made. I hope you see all the connections. He partook, and now the writer has given us more explanations of why the Son of God became man. So these parallels are given to us. We are called brothers by Jesus in the first section, 10 through 16. Now it tells you how you can become a brother or sister of Christ In other words, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in order to redeem them. So the the parallels are obvious. So the writer gives us this grand summary. And he makes this transition statement. And it is called a causal adverb. And it's connecting us back to 10 through 17. So the best way to capture this is for this reason. Or this is why it was fitting for Christ to become like us. Because he had... To to become a faithful and merciful high priest. Have you figured something out studying the book of Hebrews? It's a thinking book. You have to think when it comes to this magnificent book. It, It compels all of us to see the connectedness of the word of God. Not just in Hebrews. But all the way through the scriptures. Because this marvelous book brings together so much of the old testament. So, it's Christmas, right? I hope you understand the connection of a faithful, merciful high priest. Just think of what Andy and Betsy read when we read one of the Christmas narratives or when we hear Isaiah 9:6, "For unto us a child is unto us a son is given." Now put your mind toward faithful and merciful high priest because that's the end result. You can't separate the cradle, the cross, and the crown. They're inseparably linked together. When you hear words out of Micah 5.2, there is one coming whose goings forth are from old. He's a ruler that's coming in the future, and he will be majestic, and he will be holy. He will be called the Ancient of Days. He doesn't have a beginning, and he doesn't have an end. And so we project that forward to merciful and faithful high priests. How about the angel's words to Joseph? And she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Here we are, merciful and faithful high priest. Galatians 4.4 In the fullness of time, God sent forth. Y'all know that's Christmas, right? God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, That he might redeem those who are under the law. That they might receive adoption as sons. That just screams merciful, faithful high priest. So I'm trying to tie together all that you know about what the Bible says about the incarnation. And help you see that he did all of this. That he might become a faithful and merciful high priest. In order that he may make propitiation for your sin. That's why he came. You got to move past the sentimentality of a manger scene. That's pretty much all American Christianity at large would, would like to do. But that's not the ultimate thing to see. The ultimate thing to see and ask is why did he come? And he came to be a faithful and merciful high priest in order to make propitiation for our sins. So. One major point this morning. Jesus, our high priest, was made like the children. Who's the focus here? It's Jesus Christ. Here's the connection. He must, by necessity, become like us. So, since he came to lovingly and savingly take hold of us, it was necessary for him to be made like us. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers, and notice the text, in every respect. So, he's the brother who showed us what it was like to trust God. He is the brother who took upon himself flesh and blood just like us. Why did he do this? In order for him to give the saving aid that we had to have, it was completely and thoroughly necessary for him to be made like us. Now, Grasp this, who is Jesus? He's the second person of the divine trinity. He's been God for all time. There never was a time when he didn't exist as the second person of the eternal Godhead, the Son of God. And then he became like us. Just stop and grasp that. Marvel at the fact that God would come and be born like us. So, the wording in the text, therefore he had to be made, speaks of a necessity. It it speaks of an essential obligation. Now, are y'all listening? It was an essential, he had to be made like us. So, it was incumbent upon him to be made like his children. So, the writer's weaving these verses together to get the reader to think about partaking of human flesh, right? Verse 14. Seeing that necessity of him being made like us. So, this likeness is nothing less than complete identification. He had to be made like us in every respect. So, we would say that necessitates complete identification. So, in other words, there's no atonement without full identification. It necessitated this. So, it's in every respect. He had to come in. He had to come in and through the whole human experience. Now think about that for a moment. Weakness. You guys have any weaknesses? For some of you who are getting older than me, you feel weakness every time you get out of the bed in the morning. Right? And it's not just physically. So, there's human emotion There's human suffering. There's human death. Are y'all listening? He had to become like us in every respect. I'm not making this up. That's what the text says. Why? Because he had to know what it was like to have human weakness, yet without sin. Right? Hebrews is going to bring that out later. Human emotion, human suffering, even death. So this is what it means for him to partake of flesh and blood. In our compulsion... To protect the fact that Jesus is the Son of God and He is God. Why do we do that? Because Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, they deny that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was eternally God for all time. So we, by compulsion, say we got to defend that Jesus Christ is God. But sometimes in our efforts to do, to do that, we diminish His humanity. But the text teaches that he had to be made like us in every single respect except he had no sin. We assume human flesh. He assumed human flesh. But I want to remind you there was nothing remarkable about his appearance. Isaiah says this, doesn't he? In Isaiah 53, he had a real human body, a real human soul, real human emotions, and real affections. Please keep in mind that atonement requires... Incarnation. The atonement required God becoming flesh. We cannot afford to make an error here though. When we're talking about why the Son of God became man. What do I mean by that? When we say it was an obligation. That doesn't mean that when God willed it. Or decreed to save fallen man. It doesn't mean that he did that out of necessity. Because he did it freely, sovereignly, and graciously according to his good pleasure. God never saved a soul because of the goodness in the person. He did not make his decree to save. You understand that God at one time had to decree to save fallen man. Are y'all listening? It wasn't just wafted out of the air. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, at some point in time, had to decide and decree... To save fallen man. But when he did this, he did not make his decision based on something good in you. He didn't make his decision to save fallen man out of a necessity inside of his person. To say, I've got to do this out of necessity. But here's the deal. Once God did decree to save mankind, it was some, there was something that was necessitated. All right, He didn't have to save us. But once he decreed that he would save mankind, then there is a necessity. It necessitated something to accomplish your salvation. God had to remain absolutely just and also save sinners. How can a holy and righteous God save or allow into heaven people who are lost in their sin? How was how that? So you got this divine dilemma, a just and holy God that we've already talked about in Hebrews one, and you got fallen men on this side. How can God remain just, so holy he cannot look upon sin and at the same time reconcile you back to him? Are y'all listening? So John Murray puts it this way: It was a necessity arising out of his perfections and his own nature sin is the contradiction of God and he must react against with holy indignation against sin that is to say that sin must meet with divine judgment it is the inevitable inviolable sanctity of God's law the immutable dictate of holiness and the unflinching demand of justice that makes it mandatory the conclusion That salvation from sin without expiation and propitiation is inconceivable. It can't happen. So it is this principle that explains the sacrifice of the Lord of glory. It explains the agony of Gethsemane. It explains the abandonment of the Son of God being accursed upon a cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This principle undergirds the truth that God is just. But he can also be the justifier of man because he believes in Christ. It's the only way. So all the demands I just mentioned have been fully vindicated in the Lord Jesus Christ. God set forth his son to be a propitiation. Why? To declare that God is righteous. Please do not forget the inflexible demands of justice and holiness when it comes to our salvation. Again, hear it. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a virgin, born under the law, that He might redeem those who are. You're under the law, and the law demands perfection. And guess what? You're not one that can perfect it. Right? It's impossible. But Jesus did. He was born under the law, without sin, in order to satisfy the demands of holy justice. So when we dwell on that truth, the more marvelous it becomes, the love of God to save you. I hope you grasp that. The love of God that He would go to this kind of length. Right? Here's something to remember. Only God can meet God's demands. Let it get quiet. Only God can meet God's demands and that's exactly what this means when you dwell on that truth the love of God is so much more astounding man sinned and incurred the penalty and condemnation of sins and man must be must pay the penalty of that sin because God is holy and God is just so God in his great love sends Christ to pay that penalty of sin but for Christ to pay the penalty for that sin he must be able to die because God can't die So God in his great love sends Christ to pay that penalty. Christ must be able to die. In order for Christ to die and satisfy the justice of God's law, on behalf of those for whom he died, he must also be God. That's why his death has infinite value. That's why he can save. I pray you see this truth this Christmas. Once God decides to save, he must save in a way that's consistent with his holiness and with his justice. Therefore, the demands of justice must be met. The demands of the law must be satisfied. God's holiness must be vindicated. And the way he does this is not by skirting around sin. We we think sometimes like this. Well, you Americans and you human beings like to sin. And God says, well, I like to forgive. Let's just move on. Wake up. That's not the case at all. Do you understand what it demands for a holy God to forgive sin? So... Through death. How, how did this happen? How did this satisfaction that God being fully holy in those demands and man being sinful, what do you have to have? You've got to have a representative. You have to have a representative. Are y'all listening? You have to have a high priest. You've got to have a priest. You've got to have a representative in order for you to be made right with God. And it's not somebody walking around in the U.S. with a collar on. They can't make you right with God. They never have. They never could. They never will. No pastor can make you right with God. Only Jesus can make you right with God. Because he is God. And only God can satisfy God's demands. That's the gospel. Without it, we have no hope. Without Christ, Christmas is Christ-less. There is no Christmas Without Christ. So, thus we see Jesus for a little while made a little lower than the angels, but now crowned with glory and honor. As God, he offers himself up as the God man so that his death would have infinite value in paying the penalty for our sin, satisfying the law's demands. The holiness of God and the divine justice of God are all met. So, it was absolutely necessary. That he become like us so that he might fully and completely taste death. Chapter 2 verse 9. The one who came to save Adam's race could not be removed from Adam's race. The one who came to save us from our sins could not be some kind of superhuman or a deified man. He could not be humanified God. He had to be fully and completely like us in every respect apart from sin. So that he might save us. So as our mediator, he perfectly represents both parties. He is perfectly God and perfectly man. He can represent both parties. you got to have a representative. So the wonder of wonders is that God would condescend to become just like us in order to save us. So considering this truth, it probably makes your brain hurt, Right? But it should also cause your heart to swell with wonder and love and praise to God. That should be your response. Why did he become like us in every respect? Have I sold that to you? You understand. The Bible says this for a reason. Perfectly God. Perfectly man. Made like us in every respect. And why? Well, here's the heart of the sermon. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So that he might become a merciful, and faithful high priest. And check this verse out. In the service of God. Do you know what that means? That's three quarters of your Bible. You got it? Literally, when it says in the service of God, that is three quarters of your Bible. That is the entire Old Testament. Just just let your mind race back to all the shadows and all the types and all the sacrifices and the thousands and thousands of lambs that were paraded through the streets of Jerusalem in order to sacrifice them for the sins of the people. That could never fully take away sin. That's what it means for this priest to be in the service of God. So, to become a faithful and merciful high priest. You see it in your outline? Please see the progression here. It was necessary for him to be made like his brethren in every respect... So that he could become something. And he becomes a merciful and faithful high priest. And the writer joins for the first time the concepts of sonship. He's God forever. And priesthood. His sonship and his priesthood are connected. And Hebrews 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 are going to talk about priesthood. The priesthood of Christ. He's the eternal son, the one who has undiminished deity. He's the second person of the divine trinity. Yet he becomes man. Why? To be a merciful and faithful high priest. Those two realities come together in the incarnation. Son given and priesthood. Representation requires identification. You understand, in order for him to save you, he had to become like us in every respect. That's what God necessitated. So the writer has given those illusions already. He sat down. At the right hand of the Father, question, did any Old Testament priest ever go behind that veil and sat down, sit down? Oh no, never. No high priest ever entered in and took a seat. But Jesus Christ did and he sat down, having made purification for our sins. So if you are living as a Jew at this time, what do we know to be a reality? The most significant people in your life would have been a priest. You understand this, don't you? You may have never seen him if you lived at this time frame. You you may have watched him go into the temple courts. Uh, You would have never gotten his autograph. I mean, you you may have seen him work in his service. But you didn't know him on a first-hand basis. He was... The most important person in your life in the terms of your relationship to God. Please understand without a priest, they did not have a relationship with God. Please understand this Jesus' priesthood, his priestly ministry, ends up being the focal point of the entire book of Hebrews. What is the background for a high priest and a priest? And the writer is going to explore that as we go through the book of Hebrews. He's going to pull out all of these Old Testament backdrops and shadows. And he's going to turn all of them in a Christ-centered way. Aren't you excited about going through Hebrews? He's going to take all these allusions and all these metaphors in the Bible and all these shadows and all the sacrifices and all the priestly duties. And he's going to turn that to Christ in every way. For today, on Christmas Eve... Here's what I want you to leave with. From a biblical perspective, it is absolutely necessary. It is a demand that you have a priest. It is absolutely necessary. We need a priest. Where does that concept come from? Well, it's rooted in the Old Testament. It's rooted so far back that most would believe that this is the oldest chronological events that have ever taken place in the Bible. And guess where it is? Does anybody know? Perhaps the oldest events anywhere in the Bible. It's the book of Job. So all the way back into the book of Job. Take your copy. For some of you tech people, take your phone. Right? Let me just show you where this concept comes from. And I'm showing you that this was perhaps before the Levitical system. This was perhaps before... The giving of the law as they would know it on Mount Sinai. Just consider that for a moment. Chapter 9 of the book of Job. I messed you up on Christmas because you ask, they have to open your Bible and turn pages, right? Uh, wh- where does this need for a priest come from? Job chapter 9. Then Job answered and said, Truly I know that it is so, but how can a man be in the right before God? Is that not what we're dealing with? That is the most important question you, were ever, you will ever deal with as a human being. How can I be in the right before God? Job says, if, I, if one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. In other words, this is man's day in court. If you were called before God and it was your day in court, how will things go? How would it go if you were called before God? And Job is saying, Hey, I'm before a God that is absolutely holy. I could not even answer him one time in a thousand ways. I just couldn't do it. Look down in verse uh, 10 who does great things beyond searching and marvelous things beyond number? Behold, he passes me by and I see him not. He removes, he moves on, I do not perceive him. Behold, he snatches away, who can turn him back? Verse 15. Though I am in the right, I cannot answer him. I must appeal for mercy. Are y'all listening? I must appeal for mercy to my accuser. If he summoned him, if I summoned him and, and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. You understand how holy God is, and Job is figuring this out. I can't come before him. Verse 23, when disaster brings sudden death, he mocks at the calamity of the innocent. What does that mean? There are no innocent human beings. Period. Verse 27. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will put on my sad face and be of good cheer, I become afraid of all my suffering, for I know you will not hold me innocent. Here's a good one. Y'all think it's going to snow during Christmas? I don't think so. But listen to this. Verse 30. If I wash myself with snow... And I cleanse my hands with lie; yet you will plunge me into a pit, and my clothes will abhor me. For he is not a man as I am that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. I told you this is man's day in court, right? If we should come to trial together, even if I wash myself with snow water, I can't make myself clean. Are you ready for this? Verse 32. For God is not a man as I am, that I might answer him that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on both of us. Oh, but there is. Are y'all listening? Job understands. He's probably speaking more than he knew. He didn't know at all. But he knew that if he was going to go before God... There had to be someone that could put his hand on God and his hand on man and bring them together. And there's only one who could do that. Who was fully God and fully man. So Job seeks an umpire. That's the word. I need a mediator. I need someone to stand between God and me and put hands on both of us. So what does the priest do? He mediates between God the judge and man the sinner. The priest must be able to represent both parties equally. So the Aaronic priesthood will have deficiencies. When you read through Hebrews, you're going to find out that Aaron wasn't perfect. None of the priests were sinless. How would you like to know that he went in and made atonement for your sin after he spoke evil toward his wife? Or he kicked his dog before he went in? I mean, the guy's a rotten sinner just like you are. And he's going in before a holy God on your behalf. I think I would sit on pins and needles because I know me and I know you. And I know any man that puts on his pants and he's a sinner. Just like everybody else. So the ironic priesthood is going to have deficiencies. It had to be done over and over and over in perpetuity. Why? Because the blood of goats and bulls and calves could never take away sin. That's what the Bible says. Y'all know what happens on Mount Sinai, right? The people are like, whoopee, we're about to see a God show. God is coming down to visit us on Mount Sinai. Y'all want to hear it? You stay where you are and listen to Hebrews. We're going to get there. Chapter 12, right? For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. Y'all remember this? At Sinai they said, please, don't let God speak anymore. For they could not endure it in order that it was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, he shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Y'all remember the story? I mean, they're like, I want to go to the movie and I'm going to sit on the front row. And they're like, oh no, I don't want to be on the front row at Sinai. I don't even want to be on the back row like Baptists at Sinai. I can't do this. There's no way I can be in his presence. So here's what they do. Moses, you do pretty good with him. Let's do this. You go talk to him, and if he wants to tell us anything, you tell us what he told you. All right, folks, are y'all listening? Why is that the case? Because Moses had to be the intermediary. He had to be the priest between God and the people. If not, it doesn't matter if it was a beast or... Uh, a person, if you touched the hem of that mountain, boof, you were gone. You were dead. Do all understand how terribly awesome God is? Do you understand how holy God is? Thus, the people say to Moses, we can't contain him. Would you please rearrange this event? We need a high priest to go between a God that judges sin and sinners. We need a priest to represent us to God. You need someone to take you into the presence of God without you being consumed by him. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. Again, are you ready? With all that priest in mind, so that he might become a faithful and merciful high priest in the service of God. Folks, are you thankful for him? You better be. He's the only mediator between you and God. 1 Timothy 2.15, there's only one mediator between God and man, and it doesn't leave it blank, Jesus Christ the righteous. There's only one. He came and demonstrated the perfect mercy and compassion of the Father. He had compassion for you when he went forth. Notice it says he is merciful. Just think about this for a moment. Mark 1 starts off, and what does Jesus do right out of the gate? He goes and heals a leper. And he not only only heals him, but he reaches out and touches him. What did the law say? The law says you cannot touch a leper. If you do, you're unclean. And what did the merciful high priest do? He touched the leper right out of the gate. Talk about compassion. Uh, How many verses talk about he was moved with compassion? And this literally means a visceral reaction in the gut. He was moved inside of himself with compassion. He reached out and touched. He healed. He spoke the word and people were healed. He looked out over the people and said he was moved with compassion because they were sheep without a shepherd. He is merciful. He had compassion for the hungry and crowds and he fed them. You read the gospels and you'll find that that our merciful high priest was moved with compassion for human needs, spiritual needs. He was full of mercy and compassion to his people. Do I have to say that to you? He is a merciful high priest. But not only that, he's faithful. And this morning, I, I'm, I'm about to land the plane. All right? This is the one you better listen to. Well, without mercy, you can't be saved, okay? But today, I want you to think about faithfulness. Not your faithfulness, because you don't have it. But he is faithful, okay? Now listen to the text. The idea is that he discharges his priestly duties perfectly. Are y'all listening? Please give me this minute at Christmas, all right? Do you understand what that means? He perfectly performed his priestly duties, he was faithful and reliable with that particular duty. In other words, he's trustworthy and reliable. John 17, Father, I have come to do your will, and I have accomplished everything you ask me to do. John 17 is a high priestly prayer. You sent me into this world, and I did everything you asked me to do. That's what Jesus said. I I have been a faithful high priest. I did everything that you, Father, ask me to do. He's faithful. And he's reliable. And who's he reliable and faithful to? Verse 16. For surely it is not angels that he helps. And that word helps means to take hold of. To seize. But he helps the offspring of Abraham. Aren't y'all thankful that he's faithful and he helps you? That he is faithful and he's compassionate. He is faithful and reliable to the seed of Abraham, to his brothers and sisters. Here we are. He's faithful to the many sons he's leading to glory. Why did the high priest go in on behalf of the people? But they were flawed. The sacrifices were flawed. But Jesus was perfect. He, was not only, he did not only make an offering. Hear this. He was the offering. All of those guys had to make atonement for their own sin before they went in. But he was the offering and the offerer. He was both. He is faithful. Does. This mean anything to you when you draw your last breath? I mean, I read a a, a statistic the other day that said that since 19, and I know we had COVID, but even in 2023, the rate of death in the United States of America is unbelievable. For a lot of different reasons. Again, back up in the text. What is it that keeps man under slavery and bondage throughout his days? It's the fear of death. Does it mean something to you that you have a reliable high priest at the point of death? I'm telling you, I don't care what priest you bring into your hospital room to pray over you to get you to glory. It ain't going to happen. It's impossible. Because he can't take your place. He's not your representative. He's not perfect. He's not righteous. He's not God. Only Jesus can take you to heaven. When you close your eyes in death, you won't go to heaven without one high priest and one high priest only, and it's Jesus. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. you got to have a high priest. you got to have a priest, people, and it won't be one walking around the U.S. with a collar on. It won't be this pastor standing in the pulpit. I'm not a priest. Don't even call me a reverent. Call me a pastor teacher. There was only one that was a reverend, and that's Christ and him alone. He's the only one worthy, reverent, honorable that can save sinners. Now listen, if you are his between now and that point of time when you die, whenever that may be, if you're his, hear me, you will never be lost. And why is that? Because you got a faithful and reliable high priest. Please hear me today. Your eternal salvation is not based on your performance or faithfulness. Your faithfulness is a result of His faithfulness. And if you're persevering today, it's not all because of you. It's all because of Jesus. That's the reason. So a faithful high priest means He's made perfect atonement for you. He has faithfully made a sacrifice for your sins. He is faithfully there to help you. He doesn't flake out on you. And He also never forgets to pray for you. Why? Because the Bible is going to tell us He prays for us without ceasing. He is an absolute perfect and faithful high priest on your behalf. If you are His, His faithfulness as your high priest, hear this, is your salvation. His faithfulness as your high priest is your salvation, clearly. Ultimately, it's not your faithfulness. Ultimately, it's not your determination. It's not your performance. It's not your grit. It's not your skill in fighting the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's the faithfulness of your high priest that is your salvation. It's his faithfulness that is your perseverance. It's his faithfulness as your high priest that got you saved and that keeps you saved. It's His faithfulness. It is His faithful intercession that holds your faith up day by day. I can look back on my life in times when I was shaky and tottering. And now look back at that and I'm standing on the firm rock of the confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you something, it wasn't me that got me through that. And I'm telling you something. It's not you when your faith is on the line. When you're tottering back and forth. And you're right on the verge of unbelief. What is it that holds you? You have a faithful and reliable high priest. Please understand what this is saying for you. You look back on those days. Now when your feet are firmly on that rock of Christ. And you realize that he reached out to help the offspring of Abraham. It was the Lord that helped you. So... It is His faithfulness that is the impetus for your repentance today. It is His faithfulness that is the impetus for your faithfulness to God today. His faithfulness, as a matter of fact, is the only reason we can ever sing a song like "My Jesus, I love Thee." I remember that hymn. What a hymn! "My Jesus, I love Thee." I know thou art mine, for thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I loved you, loved thee, my Jesus tis now. How about this verse? I love thee because thou hast first loved me and purchased my pardon. On Calvary's tree. And I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I loved thee. My Jesus tis now. Don't you like this one? In mansions of glory. And endless delight. I'll ever adore thee in heaven so bright. I'll sing with the glittering crown on my brow. If ever I loved thee. My Jesus tis now. Now I skipped a verse. Y'all know that? Why? Because this is the reality. Do you love him in life and in death? I ask you, well, what is it that's going to carry you all the way up to your deathbed and after? You've got to have a high priest. Right? You have to have a priest. Here's what that verse says. <clears throat> I'll love thee in life. I will love Thee in death, and praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath, and say, When the death dew lies cold on my brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I'm telling you, when you close your eyes in death, you got to love him right then. And you won't love him because of your faithfulness. You're going to love him because of his faithfulness. He's reliable. you got to have a high priest. Merry Christmas. You have to have a priest. It can't be an earthly priest. It's got to be one that's God and man. If not, there's no mediator between you and God. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Not just at death, but in life. you got to love him because of his faithfulness. Great God, thank you for that truth this morning. Lord, I, it's, it's all over me and I can't help it. Lord, it, it comes out that I know how rotten of a sinner I am. But I know how gloriously holy you are. And there's no way I could ever be made right with you apart from Jesus. So we trust in the faithfulness of our great and merciful high priest. Mercy in that he saved me from my sin. I deserve death. I deserve to be ostracized from God. I deserve to be put away. But instead, you came after to help and to seize to give aid for the seed of Abraham thank you for mercy that you extended grace to me when I deserved hell I deserved to die in my sin but yet Lord Jesus you took that sin upon yourself in order to mediate to cover my sin and to turn the wrath of God away from my sin God thank you for that if there's someone lost today please help them see that they need a priest, and the only priest that can save is Jesus. He's the only one that was sent from God, who is God, who became man in order to die and pay the penalty for sin in order to uphold the justice of God and at the same time save sinners. Praise God for it. May, your, may people see it today. May your sheep hear your voice and come to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Mark, let's do an audible on the, uh, go to verse 3 of uh, O Come, All You Unfaithful. Based on what the pastor just said here, we have got to sing this, folks. So come, though you, I, have nothing. Come, because why? He is the offering. Amen? Let's sing it together. Oh,
5: come, though you have nothing, come the offering
0: Said, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, but only in the cross of Christ. Aren't you thankful that he bore our sins in his body on the tree? That you might become the very righteousness of God. That's Christmas. Don't stop at the manger. you got to read the Bible. The Bible says that he was born to become a faithful and merciful high priest. To make propitiation for sins. Praise God for that. Amen. What a great and wonderful high priest we have. He's the only one you need. Right? He's the only one that can save. That's why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's called the exclusivity of the gospel. I'll say it on any national news. You're not going to heaven apart from Jesus. They can put me in jail all day long. But I'm telling you, you're not going to heaven without the high priest. And there's only one Not many religions, not many ways, only one way. All other religions are false. The only true religion is God seeking after man. And Jesus did it by coming down from heaven to save you. Amen? That's the only gospel. It's the only good news. And it's only good news if you know you're a sinner. I qualify. And so do you. You might not have figured that out yet, but you do. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All right, tonight we'll take part in the Lord's Supper. And I will briefly, David's going to take a song and take it apart for us and just show you how awesome that song is, Christmas song. And then I'm going to come up and just talk a little bit about what propitiation is. What's that word? And then we're going to unpack it more when we go into the new year. All right? Uh, Also, a special thanks to you, church family. You've been so gracious to Natalie and myself by giving us cards here and there. To eat out and uh, whatever else. You gave food. We've done our best to eat it. And so just special thanks for you thinking of us during Christmas. God bless you. Uh, No other announcements. We look forward to seeing you tonight.
1: Amen. God bless. See you tonight.